I'll just ask you this straight up, Justin. Are, are you worried about Josh Allen? You're now listening to the Wandering Buffalo Podcast with your hosts, Andrew Chang and Justin Goddard. Hello and welcome to the Wandering Buffalo Podcast, a show on the built-in Buffalo Network. My name is Andrew Chang, and alongside me is my co-host, as always, Justin Goddard. Today, we're going to recap the Bills' big shutout win against the Miami Dolphins. So we're going to talk about uh, the offensive highlights and lowlights, as well as the defensive highlights and, I guess, lowlights there, and just our overall takeaways. After that, we're going to preview the Week 3 matchup against the Washington football team. So how they're currently looking in terms of their record, division, what the media thinks about them, what we want to see, things we don't want to see, and then we'll wrap it up giving up giving our game day predictions. As always, you can find us on most social media and podcasting platforms and even on YouTube by searching The Wandering Buffalo Podcast. And in addition, you can always find us as well as other amazing shows and content by looking into the built-in Buffalo Podcasting Network we're on Spotify, YouTube, podcast, all that good stuff. You name it, we're probably on it. Justin, how are we doing today? I am doing wonderful tonight. Uh, it's a lot easier to start the week and get ready to take on an, another week of work uh, with a Bills win. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one was in a, a pretty fun fashion, but you know, you know, it's always easier after a, after a win, regardless of how it happens. How about yourself? I'm doing great. I I can't complain. It it's weird how a loss can really just carry you through a week and how it contrasts in terms of a victory. <laughs> Let alone a victory like this. This was a complete shutout and we're going to get to that. So I don't I don't even want to like get into it right now just cuz we're going to get into it, but wow, what it it just was a great feeling from start to finish and i'm still riding that wave (laughs) so let's just jump right into it let's recap the win against the miami dolphins so we got to start with josh allen right so josh allen went 17 for 33 that's a complete completion percentage of 51.5 percent he threw for 179 yards i believe he had a qbr of 63.1 Two touchdowns, one interceptions, and I'll just ask you this straight up, Justin. Are are you worried about Josh Allen? Um, I'd be lying if I said there wasn't a touch of worry there. Mm-hmm. Um, just just because it, it it kind of looks more like 2019 Josh Allen starting out the season, where there's those flashes of just like these spectacular next level plays. Um, but I haven't really seen yet in 2021 that quarterback we saw last year that was just, he was just methodic. He was scientific, like be rattling off like 10, 12, 13 completions in a row. And it was a lot of taking what the defense gave him and everything was just so precise and everything. And this year I feel like so far I'm seeing a lot more of like the going after the home run balls and the plays that he is making are, you know, it's still those wild, ridiculous plays that, you know, only a few quarterbacks in the league can make. Um, But I kind of got used to that 
methodic looking passer from last year. It's still very early in the season, and we played against two really good defenses. Um, so I'm not like in panic mode, but there, there, I'd be lying if there wasn't some level of concern creeping up. For me personally, I'm not worried yet. The Bills have played two very good defenses. You know, the Steelers, really strong front seven, gave that offensive line fits and pressured Allen all day. And then you look at the Dolphins, who are in the same division as us, who have built specifically to, like, basically they've built to win their division. So they got two really strong cornerbacks. Uh, Like, their secondary, in my opinion, is significantly stronger than the Steelers' secondary. So I wasn't not expecting this, but... I was expecting a little more production. And if there's anything that I've taken away from these first two games, it's that I think pass rush affects Josh Allen and the Bills offense a lot more than tight coverage. Because Josh Allen started this game off, you know, pretty good. Went down the field, got a touchdown. Well, Singletary got in that touchdown. But in general, the offense just seemed like it was clicking much better when they didn't have that stout front seven down there, like breathing down their necks. Right, and this this is the type of game for me where we talked in the offseason about, like, will we see a, a statistical regression from Josh Allen? And I think this is kind of the type of game that kind of exemplifies what my thought process was in the offseason of, you know, we had contributions from the run game. We had a 46-yard touchdown from uh, Singletary, which is something we never really saw last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had the defense playing to the form that we were expecting. The The front seven looks great. The coverage is holding up on the back end. They're forcing turnovers. Um, so I, I think this game especially Josh Allen stat-wise, might look a little different if there was any position in the game where our backs were kind of against the wall. But, I mean, outside of the outside of the uh, turnover from Moss when he fumbled it on that little swing pass and Miami was getting the ball in pretty good field position, I think they were down 14 nothing at the time. I mean, other than that, there wasn't really any time in the game where the lead felt threatened at all. And I think when Josh is back against the wall, you see the best of him come out. So I feel like we haven't really seen that yet. Yeah. And there were some good throws by Allen and some not-so-great throws. Two of the great throws that came from that Miami game, in my opinion, were you know that early Sanders hookup for 30-something yards that got him into the red zone early in the game and then the Diggs 50-50 ball that people were kind of hammering the table like oh he should have hit him in stride he should have hit him in stride it shouldn't have been like a 50-50 ball and I don't disagree with you but if you go back and look at that throw Allen is all the way right and he's throwing all the way left and that that's a long throw 
and he still put it in a spot where only Diggs could get it. And Diggs got a highlight out of it. He mossed, he mossed him, right? So I, I don't know. He mossed Howard. It, it was a great play, and I think at that point, the the morale of the Dolphins were was already low, but it was like really dead at that point. Yeah, and, and to your point of like, yeah, that's a fifty-fifty ball and all that. Well, that's why you bring in a guy like Diggs, right? Mm-hmm. Like. Xavier Howard had good coverage on the play and you need receivers that go up and make plays like that too. You know, as good as any of these passers are in the NFL, there's going to be some balls like that, that, you know, we talk about it being armchair quarterbacks and whatnot. Like, yeah, if the ball's thrown five, six feet a little further out and you catch them in stride, it's probably a touchdown, but also, having that pinpoint accuracy on a 25, 30 yard throw, you know, sometimes you just got to have it in that right window that these players can go make a play on it. And, Mm -hmm. and in my opinion, you know, the, the Emmanuel Sanders pass is just an example of like the perfection that Josh Allen can have on with some touch on a throw and all that. And the one to Diggs was more like, I'm going to get the ball towards my guy and I'm going to let him go make a play. So while I don't think it was a terrible throw by Josh by any stretch of the imagination, I think that's also more of an indicator of who Diggs is. Yeah, two different throws. Both worked out great. I I guess if I had to nitpick, the one throw that I really didn't like was the Xavier Howard interception, obviously because we turned the ball over. But because it was behind Diggs on an in-breaking route, which Allen specifically said, hey, I, I need to work on this in the off season, And not to take anything away from him, I'm sure he's worked on it, but it just was unfortunate that he got an interception on something that he's, on a pass that he's specifically aware that he needs to be better at, but still tried it. So, you know, good for you. You try, you're going to learn from this, but hey, growth mindset. What are you going to do better next time? Stay humble, stay hungry. Yeah, yeah. So let's transition to the offensive line, which I thought played much better. It Well, let's let's start off by talking about Jack Anderson. And I know he didn't play in this game, but he was protected for it. And after I I, I wasn't aware of this. It there's like a small window between each game, and it's basically post-game, that your protected players are free to get scooped up right after right after a game. And you have until like basically Sunday to Tuesday to do that. And the Eagles took Jack Anderson and put him on their 53-man roster. So I'm a little concerned about that because now there's a question about the depth at offensive tackle and or offensive line just in general and I liked Anderson but at the end of the day he was a seventh round pick and the Bills liked him enough obviously to scoop him up but we don't have him anymore and that just leaves an open practice squad spot so 
what do you what are your thoughts about this scoop this uh transaction here justin um so i'm honestly a little bummed about it i i feel like he had flashes in preseason and definitely didn't look like he was anywhere near ready to be a starter or anything like that um but he's the type of guy that i wanted to have in the building for a year and start grooming um especially when you look at you know, Feliciano, I feel like, is an upgradable player. Cody Ford has looked pretty decent through two games, but it's also still a pretty sam- small sample size uh, from this season so far. And before now, he's been pretty pretty underwhelming. You look at the fact that Feliciano and Morse both might end up not here next year. Um, Bakker's going to be a restricted free agent. I liked having youth in the room that we could at least see what they turn into. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other side of the coin, it, I feel like maybe there's a possibility that something like that, when we get towards the off season forces us to maybe use some free agency dollars, maybe use draft capital um, for like a higher round pick to kind of address that position going forward. So right. at the end of the day, like I don't know if a seventh round guy was going to be the answer, but maybe this tips tips the scale a little bit that we go after a third, fourth round guy to be the answer. Right, right. Resource allocation. And uh, I I had a feeling that Anderson was some guy that they were going to keep in their back pocket for maybe a replacement center since, you know, he was coming out of the draft and at the senior bowl, he was practicing to be a center. Now it wasn't a great showing, but there was some upside there. And the Bills really do like to get people who haven't reached their ceiling, and when, especially when they try different positions. You know, a great example and a great story is Matt Milano. He was a safety transition to linebacker, and the Bills picked him up in the fifth round, and now he's amazing. PFF has him as the number one linebacker in the NFL through two weeks. So that's just an example of what could happen here. But we're talking about the offensive line. So let's get back to it. And as I mentioned, I thought that they performed a lot better than this week against the Dolphins as opposed to the Steelers. But I got to go back and watch the tape. And I'm going to plug Eric Turner over here from Cover One because he does amazing film breakdown. And if you're not entirely sure about offensive line play, like me, because I'm not an expert, or just defensive offensive schemes in general go ahead and watch those breakdowns and it will make you understand this game so much more and appreciate the the skill it takes to play this game a lot of people think it's like snap throw the ball catch no there's it's it's much bigger than that (laughs) and i i'm gonna move on from that but like I said, I thought the line played much better. I don't think I saw Bakker take a single snap. So I think the starting five is pretty much Dawkins, Feliciano at left guard, Morse, Ford, Williams. At least for now. I think the pass blocking from this game still could use some work. Um, and I think Allen's elusiveness has really bailed out this offensive line a lot. And he's he's done this 
ever since his rookie year, right? He rolls out to his left or right, and he dodges, makes some defender look silly. But why is the defender in his face in the first place? You know, Al, Al, that's what makes Allen so special. Those second chances that he gives the offense to make a play. And so I would agree with you that overall, I feel like the offensive line looked a lot better this week. Um, you saw some production in the run game. Um, for me, for me, I'm not like completely sold on the offensive line yet. And the reason being is you see Pittsburgh with the great front four, great front seven, and they really gave us problems. And for Miami, I don't think that's really their strength. I think they're, they're more focused on the coverage than the pass rush. So you see like the, the, the difference in the two philosophies. Um, I think going forward playing against Washington this coming week is going to be a big test for the offensive line. And it, it's going to be dealing with that. That's going to be a very problematic front four. And I, I'm most interested to see how they hold up in that game. And that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll, like I said, we'll definitely get to that later on the episode, but I mean, just to go back to my point earlier, this offensive line definitely still needs some work. And let's think about that touchdown pass that Allen had to digs where he's rolling to his right, buys a lot of time, looks back, throws across the field, finds dig, find finds uh, Stefan Diggs. Well, Agba's coming down on him. Who is Allen like saving or like bailing out there? Is it Williams? I, I don't know. This, these are the examples of why I think Josh Allen elevates and can make this offensive line look better than what it really is. And I just I just want this line to be better because Allen is an expensive quarterback and he's a luxury to have and I want to keep it that way <laughs> I don't want to see Mitchell Trubisky in there and I, I don't know we're about to transition into run blocking but w- what are your thoughts about that yeah so I think Allen's elusiveness definitely bails out the O-line at times but I also think that that's part of what makes being an offensive lineman for him a little bit difficult um, when you see these mm. Is you see a guy like just for example Ben Roethlisberger, when his average time to get the ball out of his hands is like under two seconds. It's he's getting the ball and he's getting it out. Um, I mean, even if you don't have sound blocking on the play, the chances of somebody getting in his face within that short time span, it, it's a lot less likely. And it's not something I would ever want to take out of Allen's game because I think. I think that's where he really thrives is I I actually feel like he prefers when the play goes like that and it breaks down and he can roll to his right and he has these really talented receivers like Diggs and Beasley coming back to the ball running straight across the field. It's really hard to keep up with guys when when the play breaks down like that. Um, So I think it does lend itself to, to some optics of the offensive line looking worse than it is at times. Um, but I, I also think it does a lot to, you know, when when somebody's in his face that quick that he can get away and still make a play. And we're not talking about, you know, the pressure he faced as much. So I think it's a little bit of both. 
Right, right. And that's a great point to bring up. We you know, if I'm if I'm blocking for you and next thing you know, I look back and you're all the way to my right. I would have liked to known you were going to go that way so I could have done something else. I didn't even have to hold on that play. You're already gone. Damn. <laughs> All right, let's talk about run blocking here. And again, I got to go back and look at the tape, but there was a clear emphasis in this game that the Bills need to needed to establish the run, and they did. For, you know, first series, Singletary goes out, makes a huge, what was that, like 40-something yard run or, or something to that effect. 46. And 46 yards. And I know we're only two games in, but I'm a little more optimistic of this year's run game as opposed to last year's run game. And I understand that this game we did a lot more, you know, 11 personnel, 21 personnel, and as opposed to the first game where we barely did it. So I, I'm hopeful for the run blocking. Yeah, it's definitely looking like it's coming around. And again, it's I like that they're having more effective runs and not necessarily a ton more run plays. I think um, Singletary had, I think, 13 carries this game, and Moss added another eight. So, I mean, overall, you're still not seeing a ton of running plays, especially when you're considering that the score the score being what it was. Um, still not seeing them lean too much into the run game and acknowledging that the passing game is still our strength. Um, but just having that that fear of you know being able to do it on occasion is enough to slow these linebackers, these defensive linemen down just a half second. And that little half second in the passing game can really make or break a play. Mm-hmm. Speaking of passing, let's talk about the Bills receivers here. And I got a little screenshot of ESPN's stats of that game. And leading receiving no surprise here Stefan Diggs four receptions for 60 yards 15 yard average one touchdown and the long of 41 you take away that 41 yard 50 50 ball then he goes three for 19 like so if anything that tells me that the Dolphins paid again extra attention to Diggs and that's probably a common theme that we're going to see next week and for many weeks moving on. So other other weapons on this wide receiver core need to step up. You know, Sanders got two receptions for 48 yards, that 35-yard one that we already mentioned, so we're not we don't need to talk about that. Beasley had four catches for 36 yards and again he had a really long catch of 22 yards. You take that out of the equation, then he goes three for what? What's that? 14. Not great. Knox, two catches, 100% catch rate, 17 yards, one touchdown, and that touchdown catch they had in the end zone. That was a nice catch. Nice catch, in my opinion. I love that stat line for Knox. Yeah, it, dude, it was great, great. And just in general, the team went 17. The in general, Bills pass catchers, 17 catches, 179 yards, an average of 10.5 yards per reception, two touchdowns. Stefan Diggs, the long one. But in general, 29 targets, 17 for 29. What are your thoughts about that? 
So one of the really interesting things to me on this is, you know, the the top numbers that you listed there, you know, very pedestrian numbers for this receiving core. And I think that has a lot to do with Josh still didn't play his best game. Um, But what's really interesting to me is the Isaiah McKenzie usage through two weeks. Um, We haven't really Really seen... Yeah, very low. We haven't really seen the jet sweeps, the... you know, some of the slot stuff. And it, it kind of, towards the end of last season, became kind of a gadgety focal point, I guess. I don't really know how I want to say that. Mm-hmm. But McKenzie was in the game, and even if it was for the little misdirection to threaten speed on the edge, anything like that. Um, so, for me, I kind of want to see what happens there when Marquez Stevenson, if he can come off the IR after the three weeks, if they can find a way to utilize him more effectively in the offense, or if we're going to keep seeing McKenzie in that role. Because to me right now, I, I want to see what the rookie has if you're not going to use McKenzie for anything anyways. So right, I'm interested. Right, right. Well, Let's transition into the rushing offense, and as Justin and I already talked about, there was a clear emphasis on this game to establish the run, and Devin Singletary leading the group, 13 carries, 82 yards, had that long 46-yard run. Uh, The next leading rusher, Josh Allen, 5 carries, 35 yards, almost had that touchdown, but uh, slid his way into the 1-yard line instead, or the 6-inch line, or whatever you want to call it, and... The star of this group outside, well, I'm just going to say the star and the person that I'm going to focus on is Zach Moss, of course. I thought he did very, very good. He recovered from that fumble that he had, and you know the team in McDermott believed in him to go out there in the second half and prove that he could bounce back from it, and he did. He started to look like that business decision running back that we all thought we drafted. And moreover, he was dealing with some personal issues. Like he, I, I think there was a, he tweeted out saying like he had to bury his aunt the day before, come in here, fumbles the ball on like one of his first plays. And then, you know, you don't see him for a little bit. And then he goes back out there and answers really strong. He's talking about ups and downs through life. And how it relates into this game and how you got to persevere. So uh, thumbs up to Zach Moss. You persevered real good and you performed very well. He gets he gets kudos from me. Tip of the hat. Of course. Yeah, I'm, I'm personally glad that Zach Moss was kind of the guy you keyed in on there. I mean, Singletary, Singletary kind of showed what we saw from him two years ago. And with any sort of decent blocking in front of him, we know that he can be, we know what his elusiveness looks like and all that. And even on his 46 yard run, like, yeah, that's not game breaking speed, but if you give him the crease, he has enough speed to get there. Uh, But what I really liked about Moss in this game is we saw him with, with some fumble issues last year and that just leading him right to the bench and not seeing him again for the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. And I was really glad to see that. I even texted a couple of my buddies when he fumbled. I was like, "Well, that's that's it for Moss today. We're not going to see him again." Mm-hmm. 
with him being inactive last week, I was kind of thinking maybe we don't see him again for a while. Um, but I liked McDermott putting him back in the game, giving him some opportunities, and it it felt like he was really hungry and really had something to prove that he does deserve a spot on the field and there is a role for him in this offense. And mm-hmm. he came out in that, I think it was about a 10-yard run, but boy, that one touchdown, that's what I wanted to see out of Zach Moss. That's who I thought mm-hmm. we were getting as a player. And and seeing a run like that, yeah, I'm about that. He had a couple of those, like, get off me. All right, you're going to tackle me. I'm going to bounce off you and then drag, like, the other second defender a couple yards ahead into the end zone or just in general a couple more yards. And those, the the falling forward, it reminds me a lot of how Marshawn Lynch used to play. Yeah, he used to get tackled a lot, but you could always count on this man falling forward for at least, like, three yards and not getting pushed backwards. That's huge, and it adds up. Other than that, I think we're going to have to transition into defense. And, Justin, I'm just going to read you off some stats here and just let me know what initially comes to mind here. Just throw out some adjectives. 68 tackles, 44 solo tackles, 6 sacks, 9 tackles for loss, 11 QB hits, 6 pass breakups, 0 points allowed. So all that's coming to mind so far is I wish we didn't hurt Tua because I would like to see what those numbers added up to if he stayed in the whole game. He looked mm. so overwhelmed at the start of the game. And I don't want to say Jacoby Brissett really slowed us down because, I mean, Tua, Tua went out in, what, the second series of the game. Um, so a lot of that was on Brissett. But he was at least, like, making a guy miss and – getting some throws out when when the game started and it was Tua it looked like he had no idea what was coming at him and I'm looking forward to you know the rest of the season we're playing Mac Jones twice we're playing Zach Wilson twice we got Heineke next week all these younger guys in the league like that's where McDermott Leslie Frazier really game plan up for these young quarterbacks and overwhelm them and that makes me feel great going forward Um, defense looked like it did two years ago it looks like our investment in the defensive line is paying off and boy I couldn't be more jazzed about a stellar defense yeah so let's talk about that defensive line and this just dominant performance that Leslie Frazier kind of schemed up here and Jerry Hughes was probably the low point of this entire defensive masterpiece. And that's saying something in my opinion, right? If you're longtime veteran, who's the star is just kind of like sitting back, relaxing, cool. And it doesn't even matter. That's great. And the, I already, we we were already talking about the spotlight player post, um, at post game, you know, who we thought impacted the game the most. And right off the bat, no hesitation. I said, AJ Epinesa, this man had nine QB pressures alone, which led to multiple sacks. Gave Justin Zimmer his sack, gave Gregory Rousseau one of his two sacks. And speaking of Gregory Rousseau, he had two sacks today on his way back home 
So you know he was really hyped about that. And maybe he was playing a little uh, little more with an edge. And Mario looked great in a rotational role with minimal, with like not as many snaps as he took last year. And it's starting, this defensive line is starting to look like it's actually benefiting from this rotation and what Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean envisioned last year. Uh, everything you just said, and then the crazy thing to me too is we double-dipped on defensive ends in the draft this year, and we haven't mm-hmm. even seen Basham yet. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he's kind of getting that Vanessa treatment of last year of we want you to be ready for when you're ready. You're not learning on the job. We got guys ahead of you. And you start looking at Jerry Hughes isn't getting any younger. Mario Addison's up there. You know, these are guys that are commanding higher contracts that you can probably let go after this season if these guys keep looking like this. And then just imagine that Basham next year evolves into anything of what Epinesa looks like through two games. And that defensive front that you have especially when you factor in that these guys can play inside outside Mm -hmm. boy would i not want to be a team on third and 12 staring at russo epinesa basham sheesh sheesh throw ed (laughs) oliver in there yeah and ed oliver man i'm telling you I was I said that he was gonna break out this year, and I so far I th- it's looking like I'm right. He's, he's, doing, he's it. doing real good. He's doing great. So let's transition to linebackers. And there was this really cool photo that I saw with the linebacker and defensive line and how they kind of schemed it together. And I'll explain it here in a second. But again, the linebackers looked amazing, fantastic, stellar. Milano. He was a beast. He had like six or seven QB pressures alone. Like, in addition to AJ Vanessa, that's like 15, 16 pressures between two people. Insane. I don't want to play quarterback for Miami anymore. <laughs> like, that's just insane. Like, what is what is going on? Like, And Edmonds came out. Uh, he didn't play the second half because, you know, he was potentially cramping and... They didn't even need him out there. They just put A.J. Klein out there, and no one even said this man's name, which is what I want to hear. And it, it was just it was just a masterpiece defensively. Every, every game I get to see Milano, I'm happier and happier that we were able to keep him. Mm-hmm. The contract that we got him for is so reasonable. If he can stay healthy, he's... He's one of the best linebackers in football. He's great in coverage. He's always got a nose around the ball. And that's before we even get to Edmonds, who I still feel like there's so much room still for him to reach his ceiling. And Mm -hmm. I feel like we're seeing steps of it this year. And I think all the injuries and all the excuses built into last year, I think it's starting to show up this year and, I still see plays where I see Edmonds miss tackles and whatnot, but he looks better than he did last year. And Mm -hmm. if he can even scratch the surface of that ceiling playing next to Milano with that secondary behind him, I'm I'm getting so jazzed up talking about this defense because it it feels like we have this defense that we had Mm -hmm. 
like all through the drought era where our offense couldn't do anything and we had these top caliber defenses and it feels like we have that defense again and we know what the offense can be we just need to get the offense clicking again and if you can get all those pieces together super bowl <laughs> yeah so let me let me talk about that defensive line photo that i i, I saw earlier it was basically from left to right Edmonds on the edge. Oliver, or no, it was like Edmonds and Milano were on the edge. And then in the middle, get this, it was Rousseau and Hughes. If you're Jacoby Brissett and you see that, you're thinking to yourself, at least if I'm Jacoby Brissett and I'm looking at that, I'm thinking to myself, what is going on? Like, what are you, what are you doing? And if you're, if you're calling out protection, I don't know what's happening here. This guy usually stands like four feet that way. And he doesn't stand over here. Like that, this blend of pressure and linebacker and defensive line cohesion is just really good. And I'm starting to think that this Bill's front seven is starting to pay off. And I just wanted to make a quick note of that. It, it was beautiful. and Definitely beautiful. To your point there, on, on one of Rousseau's sacks, it looked like he was dropping back into like a, like a, little, short, um, a little short zone, like dropping back in coverage mm-hmm. a little bit. And he saw Brissette. He did that with Hughes too. Yeah, he saw Brissette start moving. He came up, abandoned the zone, and, and made a sack, which it, it's crazy to think, like like you said, if you're – looking across at these guys you're not expecting Rousseau to be dropping in coverage but we have we have guys that are long and athletic like that that you can trust to do a play or two like that to really throw somebody off mm-hmm. so let's transition into the cornerbacks and safeties you know they just did great in my opinion Teron Johnson he steals the show He's been really showing out in a contract year. Forced that fumble on third down that Milano scooped up. Very consistent so far. Levi played very good. I didn't really like that taunting play, but I understand why he did it. Like, he's just amped up. He also had an interception in this game. But he's got to be smart in that. He knew, well, maybe he didn't know at the moment, but he's got to know why he got the flag tossed on him. And, again, I don't like that rule. Trey White wasn't his best game but he still was solid so if Trey White is playing solid that's still better than most cornerbacks in this league <laughs> and then enter Dane Jackson took over for Levi Wallace and he was serviceable and I didn't really hear his name much I know he had a third down stop so I got to go back watch the tape on leave or I'm sorry Dane Jackson, but it just seemed like everything was clicking in the secondary in terms of cornerback, and like I said, safeties solid work. Micah Hyde, I guess, had his first sack as a Buffalo Bill. That was sweet, and I loved this at the end. Jordan Poyer, this man was filmed on the yeah, You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like some Dolphin fan was giving him crap. You know, obviously, because he's in, we're playing in Miami, and Jordan Poirier is literally looking at him and, and said, "Your team has zero points, zero." Uh, <laughs> and he, I saw somebody tweeted out like, 
Can you get a flag for taunting fans? <laughs> Probably. I I would. Mm. That was it. Was just so funny. I mean, if you're gonna get a flag tossed on you for taunting a fan, it's gotta be what 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 didn't uh, Peters go up into the stands and literally look a fan face to face and said, "What'd you say? What'd you say?" <laughs> I feel like that that that's penalty worthy. What Jordan Poirier did was just hilarious. That's good old fashioned fun. Uh, yeah, what do you think about the cornerbacks and safeties? I'm going to start with the cornerbacks and safeties and just start by saying how much I hate the taunting rule. Mm-hmm. I get I get what they're trying to do there to an extent, but also like these dudes are fierce competitors at like the highest level of athletic competition in their sport. Like if you can't be jazzed up to make a play, I don't know what we're doing here. It's not fun for me. I think it's impossible to to be uniform with that across the league, so you don't know what you can do one week versus another. I think it's silly. I hate it. Um, that being said, the rules are what they are. You know, If you're stepping over somebody doing it right in the face, you kind of got to know that you're going to get a flag there, so mm-hmm. got to be smarter. Um, one of the things I loved with the secondary is them being mixed into the blitz packages and it was probably the weakest part of trey white's game is <laughs> i don't think he's a top flight blitzer uh i saw i saw Brissett get him off his feet twice and it kind of looked like if he just kept tracking him down he could have got some sacks but you know the the pressure helps make a play anyways um taron johnson is simultaneously playing like he wants to be the bill's long-term nickel um but also possibly pricing himself out of our budget i i going into this season i wouldn't have expected him to command very much on the market and you know it's still very early but through 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 two games he's looked stellar and if we can get good taron johnson all season that's going to be a problem for other teams. Yeah, and I'm going to talk really quick about that taunting rule before we transition to special teams and coaching, and then we'll preview our game here against the Washington football team. Think about other sports and how players get jazzed up in there. Tennis, for example. People get jazzed up in tennis everyone the crowd feeds into that like it's a momentum thing and baseball people love that stuff and even bowling people get amped up like i i don't know if you know who i'm talking about but the guy who rolls a 300 she's like who do you think you are i I am am. just like something in that doesn't make any sense but he's so jazzed up that he just bowled like a 300 or like won that competition that it like why take that energy out of sports like that is what makes sports so great you know I, i don't know i just don't agree with it but let's transition into special teams and coaching. McKenzie, returning, looked fine. Bass, yeah, he had a miss, and it wasn't close. It was very far off to the right. If there's anything I'm going to say, like, you know, I kind of wish it was a little closer to the uprights, but, you know, it is what it is. Hawk, 
again, was consistent. Consistently slow through his uh, mechanics, but, uh, you know, he, he got the ball off, didn't get blocked. It, it kind of gives me little heart palpitations. And then, you know, we already talked about this with coaching. Leslie Fra- Frazier, I think he put together a masterpiece. You know, Joe B. on the Buffalo Beat stated that the Dolphins had a 45.3 pressure rate when dropping back to pass. It's like nearly half the time you're stepping back, someone's up in your grill. <laughs> like, that that's crazy. And when it comes to Dable, I, it's apparent that, or apparently, he injected a bunch of plays right before the game, and or a couple days before the game, and it worked, but it sounds like the offense is still trying to find their rhythm. And to your point, Justin, we're going to end on a high note here for the game preview. This defense is looking like 2019 defense. Real good stuff. We know what this offense can do. If they can get somewhat close to what they were doing last year, it doesn't even have to be like MVP, historic, breaking number, Josh Allen or anything like that because that's really hard to do, and it was crazy that Josh Allen did that. But if we can get close to that, this team is a legitimate Super Bowl contender. Yeah, and I'll kind of go a step further with the defense. And I'll I'll get back to the special teams, but where we are right now, I feel like maybe it's a little recency bias, but I think this defense right now is playing better through two games than 2019 Bills defense. I think mm-hmm. pass rush has been something that we've been trying to dump assets in and spend money on to to really get there. And I don't think we've really seen it start looking like this to start a season off. So if that pass rush can stay consistent, our secondary is really good on the back end that we're going to be forcing turnovers, we're going to be forcing mistakes, sacks, strip fumbles, all that fun stuff that really changes games. And special teams, I... I don't really have much notes on that. I, I think overall there was really no bad news from it, which is really what I'm looking for from my special teams. Mm-hmm. Matt Hawk gives me heart attacks. I I, I was rewatching the game and just... I was like analyzing the punt, to which I've never done before. I'm like trying to figure out what he, if he's taking a third step or something. I... I don't know. I can't figure out why the ball takes so long to come out, but I am not enjoying that thus far. So. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to like bring the energy down, but hey, this defense still has some things to prove. You know, the D-line, we've played against two really lower-performing offensive lines, so let's see if they can keep this energy moving on to, you know, the Washington football game and upcoming uh, teams as well and matchups so let's see what happens here so that's going to wrap up our game recap so we're going to transition right into our game preview against the football team before that let's take a quick break and we'll be right back welcome back everyone we're going to wrap up this episode by previewing the washington football team game and you know, the Washington football team is so, it's such a weird name, right? Because 
it's the first time that you could ever really say go team and it actually is applicable to both of like sides of the field here. So like go team, but like really go Bills. <laughs> I like anyways this I like low key want them to win a Super Bowl if it's not us. So then yeah. just like on the plaque on the trophy it just says football team. Football team. Yeah. <laughs> Go team. <laughs> Anyways, this game is going to be at 1 o'clock on Sunday at Highmark Stadium. It's supposed to be 70 degrees, 14% chance of rain, and 8 mile per hour winds. And hey, our man, Vince Taylor, over at Buffalo the Brain, Buffalo on the Brain, is going to be at the game. So if you happen to be there, hit him up on Twitter, DM him. DM him. I'm sure he'd love to meet you. He's bringing his wife who I believe is a Colts fan, so don't don't give him too much flack for that. He can't control that, but it's it's going to be a great time for him and his wife, so let's make it a good one if you can. Anyways, let's talk about this uh, Bills, or Bills and Washington football team by breaking down the football team. They won their last game against the Giants off a of Dustin Hopkins field goal. As we know, Dustin Hopkins is an ex-Bill. He was drafted by them, and he actually missed the first one. But in true weird football gods fashion, there was a timeout called, and then he got a second crack at it, and then he made it. So they're currently the division leaders, um, and they want to keep it that way. So, I mean, it's not a very strong division, and that's not like a, you know, a slight at the NFC East. It's just... Wins are going to be hard to come by, I guess, maybe for that division. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, and honestly, I will get into their personnel and everything, but I had Washington as the odds-on favorite to win that division. And even with Fitzpatrick going down, I still really like and respect Washington as a team. I think they have a great leader in Ron Rivera. Sean McDermott's part of that Ron Rivera coaching tree. So a little bit of connection there. So I don't think it's going to be an easy outing this week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and their head coach, as you just mentioned, Ron Rivera. You know, Sean McDermott has played Ron Rivera in the past. You might all remember that as the Zay Jones drop game where, you know, he's a rookie. Tyrod Taylor rolls out throws this ball that hits Zay Jones in the hands and he drops it. And I remember seeing Zay Jones crying after the game. And, man, I felt for Zay Jones. And that was just – that was a brutal way to lose the game, in my opinion, because I just didn't think Cam Newton was that good. And I wanted McDermott to win. <laughs> Zay Jones is out Oof. there getting walk-off game-winning touchdowns these days. He's fine. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, I, I cannot believe out of all the wide receivers <laughs> to win that game in that type of fashion, it had to be Zay Jones. What a wild game. If that doesn't if that doesn't define wild, I don't know what what does. That game was just insane. That game was but, bananas. Yeah, let's let's talk about how the media views this team. So I went back to Sports Kita and their writer, Luke Irvin, who is an analyst there, came up with the Washington football strength and weaknesses. Now, they definitely, some of their weaknesses were questionable, and I'll get to that and explain why I didn't, 
necessarily agree with some of their weaknesses, but that's that's up to us to dis- to determine. If you think it's a weakness, I'll I'll let you know, Justin. But you can make the call on it. I didn't think they were, but we'll see. Well, let's talk about their strengths, and no surprise here, Chase Young and that defensive line. It's the real deal. This team has m- multiple first-round picks on that D-line, and their star is Chase Young, who's a beast, man. Like, and on the, on the other side, there's Montez Sweat, who's like got insane speed for a defensive end. And then, oh, up in the middle, they got Jonathan Allen and, and Deron Payne, who are studs in the middle. This... This is going to be a real challenge for this offensive line. It's going to be it's going to be tough and I'd argue this DV line is just as good maybe if not better than the Steelers front four and this is a team that can rush with four so what are we going to do with the secondary that we're going to play against? But it, it, this front four is the real deal. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to this front four. Um, you you said um, comparing them to Pittsburgh. I think right now in his career, T.J. Watt, I would rate as a slightly better player than Chase Young at this point. But mm-hmm. for for like defensive line in particular, I'm looking more at the sum of the parts um, versus individual players. And we looked at Pittsburgh and what they did to us, and they had just put Stefan Tuitt on injured reserve. Um, this team it, it has their full stables across the line. You know, there's not a weakness at any point on that on that front four. Montez Sweat is a problem too. I just, mm-hmm. I think this is probably. I would probably put this as the biggest test for our offensive line this year. And I'm really interested to see what our offense does to kind of give them a little help and and see how they hold up against this front four. Yeah, and in that Steelers game, what the offensive line did is they shifted basically everyone from Mitch Morris over, so Ford and Darrell Williams to the right to accommodate for T.J. Watt. And I'm curious on how, th- and that obviously led, obviously led to Feliciano being on an island against Cam Hayward, and we all know how that ended up. So I, I'm curious if they're going to shift left or right depending on which D defensive end they think is more of a problem, or maybe they'll just play him straight up and just leave the tackles on an island, and well, we'll we'll see how that goes too, and. I don't know. I'm just I'm just thinking of all the worst possible ways that this game could go because of this matchup and it it just gives me goosebumps personally. I'm just like, "Oh god. I don't want to I don't want the Bills to be on a highlight tape. I want this line to be good. I know they can play better than what they're doing right now, but they're just not doing it." <laughs> yeah, and for me the the slide protections are a dangerous game cuz you got to defensive end on the other side of the field and sweat that's as you said ridiculously fast and you open yourself up to opening new gaps and being vulnerable to stunts and things of that nature so yeah i i don't only 
like project this to be the, the strength of Washington. I think this was, I legitimately think this is one of the best four, front fours in the league. Yeah, and let's transition to their cornerback room. They signed William Jackson the third to be their uh, to help solidify their secondary, and Jackson has been a vastly underrated throughout his career, so they think that they got a good value pickup from him. Pretty sure he's going to be the slot, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe you can correct me there. Then they got Kendall Fuller and Jimmy Moreland, and let's see. That's a, just a solid group right there. That is a very, very solid group. If, if you know, their pass rush can get home, I'm more concerned about this secondary than the Steelers secondary. Like, it, it, if I had to say there was a compromise between the two defenses that we saw through week one, week two, Washington would be it. Solid secondary, not not as good. They don't have like the corners that Miami has, and like you said, you think that the Steelers' defensive line with T.J. Watt is a little better than where Chase Young is right now. But if you compromise those two pieces together, that's still a very very good defense. And this cornerback room, man, it's. I mean, they got lit up by Danny Dimes somehow, but. He did that a lot with his his running skills, but it's a very solid room. Yeah, I, w- I would consider their their secondary room is like good but not great. So I do think there's going to be, you know, I think we have an elite wide receiving group. Um, so I think there are going to be opportunities to hit home when you're not dealing with the pass rush, you know, and a rep where their defensive line doesn't win you really need to capitalize on the opportunities with the secondary because I do think they'll present you opportunities. Um, but I think I think they're good enough that you're going to have to make the play and it's not just going to be on the field. And I think the opportunities are going to be less with their defensive line. I think everything's going to start up front from them. And they might not have the best secondary in the league, but a defensive line that that's, that is that good can make an even average secondary look a lot better. Yeah, and that's pass rush greater than coverage? I don't know. I think so. I don't know. I I think think I'm swinging my (laughs) pendulum a little bit watching the Bills pass rush this past week. I think that what I've learned most about this Bills offensive line or just team in general is that pass rush gives them more fits than coverage in my opinion but that's that's just me let's move on to their third strength and that's terry mclaurin and they really thought that terry mclaurin with pairing up with curtis samuel was going to be ideal and unfortunately we know well maybe unfortunately for them but curtis samuel is on ir and they have terry mclaurin who lit up the Giants he did amazing and McLaurin is legit and I can't believe he was drafted so late I think he was like a third rounder am I wrong there Justin I'm not positive on that I know I know it wasn't the first two rounds yes or something something to that effect he was just he he really stood out in the senior bowl and he's a legitimate 
number one wide receiver, well-respected, and he's someone that the Bills have to watch out, and I expect Trey White to potentially follow him throughout that game. Um, but we'll, we'll see how we'll see how Terry McLaurin does against this Bills secondary. What do you think? Do we got to worry about him? Yeah, yeah everybody's got to worry about Scary Terry. Yeah, for real. Yeah, he's got... He's a great route runner. He has the over-the-top speed. Mm-hmm. He's just an all-around, well-rounded receiver that can make plays at any level of the field. Um, Curtis Samuel, I was, I'll have to watch it another time, but I was really excited to see how he fits with this offense because mm-hmm. uh, I think I think the two of them together pair really nicely with mm-hmm. like the short intermediate guy in Samuel and then McLaurin that can just completely burn you. So he takes, you know, the top off the defense and you still got to worry about mm-hmm. Samuel underneath. So I'm, I'm not upset that they're going to be missing him for this matchup. Right, right. Let's move on to their next strength. And that's the fact that they have a good running back room. You know, Antonio Gibson is a solid modern day running back. He's a natural ball catcher, and he's really solid against the run. And, you know, McKissick is a really good backup as well. I'm pretty sure on that Thursday night game, he caught like a 50-yard catch and run from Heineke, which was crazy. But I think that running back room is, you know, let's hope that this the running defense for this team is gotten significantly better because if not these two might have a field day with the bills defense yeah i think this is a good test for our run defense and mm-hmm. we have it kind of labeled here as a good running back room i would upgrade that to great i think mm-hmm. i think antonio gibson is kind of like sneaky underrated because he's not that big name derrick henry christian mccaffrey delvin cook mm-hmm. um but I think he's right up it, right up there in that conversation for what he brings to the passing game, what he can consistently do in the run game. And then you sprinkle in McKissick, who they're a great one-two punch. Uh, so I think that running back room is kind of underrated across the league. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely going to be a good test for, for the run game. Yeah, yeah, if there's one thing I've noticed so far with the Bills run defense is that it's a lot of rallying and surrounding the football when a running back does get it. So I'm hopeful that this success is going to continue. And with, you know, Starlo Tule coming back, you know, we've only seen him one time and that's against the Dolphins, but the Bills run defense looked pretty good there. So Again, I'm just crossing my fingers and being hopeful that it carries on to this week. So their great running back room looks pedestrian. (laughs) At least that's what I hope. So let's transition to the defense here. Or, I'm sorry, their weaknesses. My apologies. And there's not too many weaknesses that Sportskeeda put out there. There were some questionable ones. For example... I, I got rid of one of them, which was expectations, basically saying the expectations of them to get back to winning the uh, their uh, division is a weakness, which, if anything, I, I'd imagine that would fuel me to perform more. But 
you know, maybe the Bills can, you know, <laughs> maybe they're, maybe they have the same expectation thing that they're doing and it just do with what you will with it. I, I don't know. I, I just didn't really think that was a weakness of this team, but what do you think? I I wouldn't really consider that a weakness myself either. It, I, that just doesn't really yeah. add up to yeah, me. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I was like, uh, okay, so let's go to the more legitimate ones. So glad we're on the same page there. <laughs> and that's this quarterback room, and it took a hit with Ryan Fitzpatrick going down. And before that, it wasn't even really stable to begin with. They signed, as I mentioned, Ryan Fitzpatrick in this off season. And he's injured now, so he's going to be gone for some time. And now they got to turn back to journeyman Heineke. And I got a lot of respect for Heineke. I think he plays a lot better than people give him credit for. And, you know, we got to reference that wildcard game against Tampa Bay, who he gave him everything. I think, honestly, I think the football team played the best against the Bucks out of all the teams that the Bucks played up against and Heineke kept him in that game, which I'll give him respect. He's almost like a discount Ryan Fitzpatrick, in my opinion, like, you know, with Fitzpatrick, there's like the really high elite level plays where you're like, who are you? And then there's that really low play from Fitzpatrick. And you're like, Oh, there you are. Like, and then with Heineke, I feel like it's almost like that. But maybe not as high, not as low, and just more towards the mean for him of, like, average play. Right. I, I'm glad you kind of compared him to Fitzpatrick there because, like, that, that makes sense to me as a comparison. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think Fitzpatrick steadies the ship for this team a little bit more, even though he might have the lower lows at times and whatnot. I think Heineke is actually a decent quarterback, but I, I still think he's like on the higher end backup scale. Like he'll, he'll come in and he'll win some games, um, you know, with a good defensive showing and whatnot. Um, but what I'm really hoping for here is, you know, for being a journeyman, he's actually still pretty young. He's 28. Um, and not having a ton of starting experience. I'd like to see a lot of those, you know, wild looks that we were talking about earlier that can really confuse him and get in his head and make him see things that he he's seeing incorrectly, and all of a sudden we got a couple turnovers on it. Because um, I think a turnover or two could really change what this game looks like. Yeah, and, you know, on our very first episode on the Wandering Buffalo podcast, we were talking about quarterbacks and free agency and – this obviously was before we knew Mitchell Trubisky were, was going to be QB2. And I think you and I were on the same page that we really wanted Ryan Fitzpatrick to come back because we wanted that wild card at number two. Like, okay, well, well, we have Josh Allen. You might as well have some variance in the backup role. And I feel like Taylor Heineke, as we mentioned, is similar to Ryan Fitzpatrick, is a bit of a wild card. So we're not really sure what Heineke we're going to see. And that kind of scares me, to be honest. I, I just, it's it's not knowing. Like, they always say, know thy opponent, but how do you know something that's 
kind of like a chameleon. Like, we just don't know what he is right now. Yeah, I wouldn't say it scares me in particular. I would just say that I I don't go into the the game underestimating him at all. I have a, I have a healthy respect mm-hmm. for Tyler Heineke. Um, but I think for Washington to win this game, there's going to have to be a lot of factors outside of Heineke. And... Mm-hmm. You won't necessarily win games because of him, but you won't lose games because of him either. So, yeah, healthy respect. I wouldn't call it fear on my part. Yeah, I, I guess maybe fear was not the right word for me to use. If anything, I'll put it like this. I'm more scared of Heineke than Jacoby Brissett and Tua. I, w- I will agree with that. So... I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> and let's transition to their next weakness, which is linebackers. And their linebacking core, apparently from what I can read here, is their Achilles heels on defense. Their starters are Bostick and Holcomb that they claim are serviceable at best. And they're hoping that their rookie linebacker, Jamin Davis, is going to be the answer here. But relying on a rookie to play at a really high level by week three or an above average to above average role by week three it just doesn't really seem probable so i think we're gonna see a lot of you know over the middle throws manipulating the isolating the linebackers maybe cole beasley is gonna have a field day i i don't know i i I just think that there's an opportunity to gain some yards there yeah, I think I think this one labeled as a weakness is it's spot on. I mean, mm-hmm. I I had watched Jamin Davis's film um, when we were talking about you know him possibly being a guy that the Bills could look at if we had to replace Milano and whatnot. It, he mm-hmm. looked pretty good in college, um, but the linebacking core for Washington in general, I can't really think of a a great linebacker that they they've had since Ever. London Fletcher. Oh yeah. And I mean, let's be honest. He was better as a bill anyways. Yeah. You know, and yeah, you know, there's, there's a couple, uh, transplants that Washington and Buffalo have had that clearly they were better as bills. Bruce Smith, <laughs> just saying, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I just predict that there's probably going to be a lot of tacking in the middle, kind of like how the Bills went to attacking in the middle in that Sunday Night Football last year against the Steelers. You know, it was a slow first half, and then they were like, oh, let's just attack the middle. Let's just attack the middle and run up the middle. So I, th- I think that we're going to see a healthy dose of that if... I'm being predictive, which I'll probably be wrong because I'm not an expert here. <laughs> and let's transition to their next weakness, which is there's not much at wide receiver. And this this was written keeping in mind that they had Samuel. So now that they don't have Samuel, they don't really have anyone. And I'll just go down their you know depth chart here. Cam Sims, Deami Brown, DeAndre Carter... Adam Humphreys and Dax Milline. It just doesn't move the needle for me, and I personally, it, it 
we just really got to worry about McLaurin, in my opinion. And the way that this defense is playing, we should be good. But triple knock on wood. And I turned my light off. Hey. I tried to turn it back on for you. It didn't work. I appreciate that. Yes. Oh, I don't. I don't think it'll be this week because our defense has been playing great. But look out for Deami Brown. He's he's mm-hmm. going to be a dangerous player at some point in his career. Little little gadgety guy, get open in space, make people miss. Um, mm-hmm. Adam Humphreys, I think, is an interesting player. I think he's kind of like budget Cole Beasley. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. nobody there is really striking fear into me outside of McLaurin. Um, but the level of fear that McLaurin strikes into me kind of makes up for a couple of those other guys. Right, right. And I was going to say something about Deami Brown, but he didn't really look great against the Giants. And, you know, with McLaurin getting all the targets and attention from Bradbury, you just thought someone like Cosme or Brown could, or I'm sorry, not Cosme, uh, Sims or Brown could get a little more action, but it, they didn't really perform. So it was made, It was like McLaurin or bust. <laughs> Speaking of Cosme, let's talk about their right tackle position because that's a, apparently very questionable. So, uh, you know, probably a better offensive line than that the Bills are going to be seeing uh, out of the first three weeks. But their right tackle is a spot that could be susceptible to pressure and sacks. They have Cosme there, I believe. Or they have Cornelius Lucas. And it's, like I said, it's probably going to be Cosme because I saw him play there on Thursday Night Football. And, you know, all reports coming out is that Cosme is promising. Lucas is serviceable. So all in all, it's mainly just a crapshoot at right tackle, in my opinion. And us as Bills fans should know what that feels like because it feels like the right tackle has never been a strong position had to lock down for the Bills until Dare Williams came last year, and now there's uh, maybe some question marks at that position. So we'll, we'll see how this uh, – yeah, I know, seriously. I, I, I want to knock on wood again, but I don't want to turn off the light, so I'll let you knock on wood this time. <laughs> yes, thanks. Yeah, I think I think Cosme's a, a promising young right tackle. I think he needs a little bit of polish to his game, and – he he might have a hard time slowing down some of our pass rush. Um, also, in the limited action I've seen from him, he he looks a little bit grabby. Um, mm. So if you can throw some speed at him and really bend the edge, I think you have the possibility of snagging a couple of holding calls there too. Um, right, right. I I just think the the waves of the young energetic talent that we can throw at him. Uh, I think I think it's enough to give him different looks to kind of shake him a little bit for you know being a young right tackle who hasn't necessarily seen seen the whole nfl book it at the position yet yeah and i i really expect leslie frazier to make it difficult for this defensive line maybe comes up with another masterpiece here but hey that's going to be something i want to see and speaking of that let's transition to things we want to see and don't want to see and Things I want to see, that's it. that uh, defensive masterpiece, unfortunately, is not what I want to see. But obviously, it's something I want to see. But if I had to pick one, and I'm going to sound like a broken record here, is I want to see Josh Allen. I need to see that 
second voting in MVP Josh Allen again, or something very close to it. And as I mentioned before, he doesn't have to get there, but if he gets close, like that's going to be a, an amazing team, especially if the defense is back to 2019 form, if not maybe potentially better. But throwing for 179 isn't sustainable, and it's not going to be good. This is a good secondary, and it's got a really solid front four. So I need Allen to make quick decisions, be accurate, and make plays when he needs to do it. And again, I'm not hitting the panic button on Josh Allen because I think he's played against much better defenses than what we're going to see. But I just really want to see him come back and just kind of silence all the doubters and haters out there. That would be so nice. Yeah, and I think this might be a tough game to really, you know, go out there and throw for 350 yards and four touchdowns. Um, So while it would be really nice, and I think if he does do that, it really kind of puts a stamp on the the whole like idea of kind of relaxing a little bit we'll we'll get on track um what i want to see out of this game is we talked about their weakness at linebacker i want to see dawson knox go out and ball out this game i've loved Mm -hmm. his first two game stat lines it was like four for four for 40 two for two two for (laughs) two for 17 and a touchdown and we kind of talked about this in the offseason of I don't need to see Dawson Knox have 150-yard games every week. I just want him to be more consistent and, and make the most of the opportunities that he gets. Um, so when I say I want to see him go off this game, I'm, I'm talking like six catches, 80 yards, two touchdowns, and kind of take advantage of a week a weak linebacking core and just do the things that you need from your tight end, sit down in a zone, be open. And when, when you can get that ball one-on-one against these weaker linebackers, make one of them miss and rattle off a 12 yard run. And I think, I think he's primed up to have that game. Hot take six, six for 82 touchdowns. That's, that's a really good game in my opinion. And I would agree that, uh, I think, Maybe if Dawson Knox can prove that he's becoming more consistent, maybe they give him some more target shares. And, you know, obviously if he proves himself, then maybe people stop doubling Beasley and, um, you know, digs and start focusing on Knox. And then maybe we see that spread offense again. Um, but this time we put Knox out there. Instead of you know one of the wide receivers and split him out wide like he's Kaseki. Sheesh. <laughs> Let's talk about things we don't want to see, and I'll start here. But I don't. I could say I don't want to see their D line just destroy our offensive line. But I'm going to go back to Heineke. It's it's the same reason why I don't. I don't want to see Heineke ball out. And it's the same reason why I don't like playing against Ryan Fitzpatrick. We just don't know what player we're getting. We're, are we going to get that like high-tier Heineke? Like, or are we going to get that low-tier Heineke? I just don't know. And me not knowing drives me insane. 
So my my what I don't want to see kind of goes contrarian to what you do want to see. And mm. what I don't want to see is Josh Allen trying to do too much. Um, mm. I would like for him to take his profits, you know, take what the defense is giving and make the right reads and whatnot. Um, but again, I everything that we just talked about of uh, the unknown with Heineke, um, the lack of weapons at receiver, you know, the fact that they're probably going to want to lean a little bit on their run run game and their solid defense. I think it's a game where we don't need to throw the ball all over the yard. I think it's going to be a close, tight defensive game, and we just have to make the most out of the possessions that we have. Um, so some of, some of the plays where we take a big sack or, you know, end up throwing the ball into a dangerous situation. I think this game is one of the games where there might be some instances where it's better to have to punt than to really try to force it in there and pick up a third and 20 um, and play a little field position game and get the ball back and then try again on that series. I think this is a very, very dangerous defense that if you give them opportunities to turn the ball over, they will. And that's a recipe to put you in a bad spot. Yeah. And I'll, I'll leave it like this. Their defense is in the same spot that our offense is right now as they, that we both know what this core can do. They just got to do it. And I think whichever one of our cores outperforms the other one, and it's that simple as that may sound, is going to determine the game. And let's get into our predictions here. And uh, real real philosophical take for me, whatever whatever team performs better is going to win the game. Like, of course. like <laughs> uh, I'm not an expert. But I'm, I'm going to say a Bills W here. It's going to be a tough game, and I'm not, I, I don't score predict, but I really think it's going to be a close one. And even though I think that it's like eight and a half in favor of the Bills, I, I still think it's going to be close. So, I, if anything, I guess I'd take the under. Um, but I'm not a betting man, and I never have been, nor will I be. So, is that what the spread is at? I, eight and a half? I think I saw That's something too like much. that. That's too much. Yeah, I'm just like, oh, you know, you know, they're looking at that too, like, oh, word, <laughs> like, oh, uh, dude, I did hypothetical bets with myself through the. I'm doing it every week of the season through two weeks. I, I should not be a professional sports better. I'm like seven and twenty six. Oh, that being said, right, I should well, probably predict the Bills to lose, right? <laughs> don't you see? No, I got, I got the. So I'm flip-flopping the the Pittsburgh scores. Um, I think the Bills win 23-16. I think, unfortunately, I am not expecting to see our offense fully start clicking on all cylinders this week. And while I do think we put up some points, I don't think we get another 35-point outburst like that. I think this is going to be a close, tough game. Right. Right. And speaking of that game against the Dolphins, like I feel like we focused a lot on negative outputs in terms of the offense and it's just so weird. Oh yeah, we just shut out a team, but let's talk about some negative things about them real yeah, quick. Yeah, just just seems it's weird. It's kind of crazy. 
where we are on the life cycle of the team of when we went from being so bad for so long to just the season we had last year. And like, yeah, it was, it was a 35 point beat down. They didn't score any points, but at the same, but at the same time, like the optics of the game, you know, you were watching that game the whole game and it was just kind of like, it wasn't right, you know? And we yeah. saw games like that last year where we won like that, but it was because we had this high flying offense. Right. It just felt different on Sunday, but mm-hmm. still a thirty five point beat down. Sorry about that. I guess uh an alarm is going off here in the background. Perfectly timed for the end of this episode. So uh that's gonna do it for today's episode. Go ahead and like, comment, subscribe, and review our podcast, as well as other amazing shows that you can find on the Built-In Buffalo Network. As always, we're looking for amazing guests to be on our show, so if you're interested, feel free to reach out to us by searching The Wandering Buffalo Podcast. Justin, where can the people find you? You can find me on any social medias at jguys22. The horn stopped and at the you perfect can find time. me in that annoying car. I know. I know, and you can find me and that whoever parked their car, whoever has the white sedan, like, you know, your alarm's going off. Uh, but no, you can find me on most social media platforms by searching 2 Changs. That's going to do it for us today, and uh, as always, go, go Bills! Bills. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.